Stuart, Arnie, Jacob, podcasters, reviewers, searching for a film that can be both smart and entertaining. Then the upcoming release of The Avengers alters their movie viewing. And now the podcast hosts watch each and every film based on Marvel Comics' The Incredible Hulk. They're watching all Marvel movies and reviewing each at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Hulk series contains detailed spoilers for the Hulk TV movies and Ang Lee film, as well as mild language and subjects. Listener discretion is advised for the conversation that dwells within. Today we're discussing The Return of the Incredible Hulk. Starring Bill Bixby, Jack Colvin, Lou Ferrigno, William Daniels, Gerald McRaney, and Lori Prange. Directed by Alan J. Levi. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And I'm not alone? Stuart, Jacob, what the hell are you guys doing here? <laughs> Plotting your death. Stuart in L.A. Yeah, and this is Jacob. I, I don't know if this movie's real or, or <gasps> did it come out of this bottle? <laughs> This movie is real, and that was a shock to me. I mean, I knew that if I was going to review every episode of The Incredible Hulk at the Venganza Media Gazette, I'd be watching this. But when doing my research for this and finding out that not only was this a TV movie, but indeed it was a feature film in some foreign countries, I had no idea I'd have to drag you two into this. I want locations, I want showtimes, what was charged for admission, and how many people showed up. (laughs) I don't believe it. This is a two-part TV episode. I'm just going to go ahead and say this now. It's a little extra. It's a Friday. Hey, we'll do a little something extra for you. I'm here as a charity, but (laughs) you can't tell me this is a movie in any shape, form, or fashion. I can. Again, when I started this off, I said we are here discussing the return of The Incredible Hulk. Now, if you go to Netflix, this is listed as Death in the Family Part 1, Death in the Family Part 2. Those were the names. It was rechristened. You know, it was Cassius Clay and then became Muhammad Ali in syndication. So it was The Return of The Incredible Hulk, a two-hour TV movie. And a th- not to be confused with the Incredible Hulk Returns, which we're doing Tuesday. Right? Correct. It's a little confusing <laughs> in that regard. And it's other name, Death in the Family, not to be confused with the death of the Incredible Hulk, which is about three and a half <laughs> weeks away. All right. So why are we doing this again? Because somebody somewhere threw it up on a projector. All right. In a foreign country. And that's what I've learned most out of all of this Red Brown, Incredible Hulk stuff is that, A, foreign countries apparently don't get our good movies, and B, they'll pay for our television. You have to wonder what's on the air there that makes this a cinematic event. It was the 70s. Honestly, maybe those countries didn't have television? Possibly. And I wouldn't want them to miss this. (laughs) Well... 
the other thing that I learned was that nowadays when making TV, you know, anyone who follows TV knows they make pilots to see if it's going to be a success if the networks want to buy more. And they now make shorter pilots. I've seen like there are 15 minute pilot episodes for hour long dramas just to see a taste of what it is. I guess network executives are too busy to watch a full hour. But the reason there were two Captain America movies, the reason we're back talking about an Incredible Hulk movie from 1977 is way back then, CBS didn't order just one full-length two-hour pilot, but two in these cases, one to be the origin story, and then one to be a two-hour episode to give the executives a feel for how the series would go. Because we mentioned last time, I asked you, Stuart, based on this TV movie pilot, could you see what this would be week after week? You said no. The executives apparently felt the same way. So they commissioned two movies. And after both were successful, then they bought the series. I agree with everything that they're thinking until they spent the money. But okay, (laughs) we'll get there. I will agree. It does feel what my memories are of the Incredible Hulk show. This is emblematic of it. It feels like a template. It feels like a map they would use and go to again and again and again. It is the formula by which they made that series. So, Arnie, for those of us who weren't in an Uzbekistan theater in 1970-whatever, why don't you tell us what goes on in this movie? Well, we start off with David Banner, as we left him at the end of the last movie, on the run, trying to come to terms with the Incredible Hulk. But he read in a newspaper that there was a hospital in Everett, California, that has a new special x-ray machine that he believes can cure him of his Hulkism. But on the way there, he runs across a young cripple named Julie Griffith. Julie lost use of her legs after a boating accident which killed her father, the founder of the multi-million dollar Pan American Corporation. But in seeing her treatment, David believes that there's something fishy going on, and so he agrees to stay on as a picker in the orchard to keep an eye on Julie. And it turns out that Julie's evil stepmother has partnered with her doctor to slowly poison her, for when she's dead, the stepmother shall inherit the Pan Am fortune. Please go on. (laughs) That always happens. (laughs) But unfortunately, the Hulk comes out first when David is escorted off of the farm by Denny, played by Gerald McRaney. And then again, when trying to rescue Julie, Julie starts hitting him over the head with a pan of water. And finally, when chased by some of the stepmother's thugs by dogs and attacked by bears and rattlesnakes. And then again, when the Hulk falls into quicksand, we're going to get into all of this, but it does have a happy ending with a bit of a mysterious ending as the Hulk does get Julie to the sheriff to turn in the stepmother and the doctor who are arrested. And David treats himself with the x-rays and wanders off into the night, never knowing if the cure worked. A happy ending for who? Well, I guess we'll get into it. Happy ending for Julie? She's not dead? (laughs) (laughs) And her old coot friend, who we're going to talk about as well. Yes, I guess it is really his story. But as we start off, I do want to take this opportunity, it may be the only one I have, to really talk about the opening credits. Last week, I mentioned all those scenes that I thought were so iconic to me because they were always in the opening credits. 
I had no idea this movie would start with those credits. It's a bit more elongated than I'm used to week to week, but there it is, the opening narration, the theme, which I don't know if it's stealing a little bit from Halloween or The Exorcist with that piano music and Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I just, these opening credits were all I ever saw of the pilot until I bought the DVDs in 2008. This was the Hulk's origin story for me. Do you need to see any more of the pilot? I'm actually going to say I like the expediency of it. It reminds me of the fact that really not a lot happened in the pilot, that it can be condensed so easily into five minutes or less. I think that's always been my beef with TV, is TV is not really about savoring the moment to moment. It's about elongating the story, and you just hang around waiting to find out what's going to happen. I think that the five-minute opening here is stronger than the 90-minute pilot we reviewed on Tuesday. So you're giving that a recommend. (laughs) Watch these opening credits. That first Hulk movie gets a recommend from you, Stuart, now. Yeah, sure. Okay, why not? The first Hulk movie in 90 seconds is a recommend. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there it is. Try and figure that out in an arrow, Arnie. (laughs) I was just trying to comprehend, was this opening playing on that film strip in whatever weird little country this came out in? Like, (laughs) you you think about going to the movies today, and if a movie opened up that way, like, no, it just wouldn't happen, right? (laughs) To me, this just yelled TV. Like, I know that somewhere this was a film, but right away, I'm thinking TV. I liked it. Maybe these opening credits are the best part of this film. I'm just going to put it out there right now. But they took some of that iconic imagery that I liked from the first film we reviewed, the x-rays, the skull, and the DNA, all that stuff. And yeah, it's in here. So a nostalgic trip for something we watched, what, like three days ago? Well, I actually (laughs) think this opening credits is better because of that music, that creepy piano music. I will say, when I was a kid, you know, five and under, when this was on TV, that piano music scared me the skull scared me the blood coursing through his veins and everything was freaking me out and then that last shot where it goes split screen banner to hulk when i was four i'd have to leave the room for these opening credits then come in to see the hulk show this was horror to me as a four-year-old well i even said it with the first film that because of that music it does have that horror vibe it's dealing with this guy that becomes a monster and that's what i liked is that it's kind of this downplayed horror vibe tv show about a superhero same with doctor strange when they merge those two kind of genres that's what i liked and i feel we get away from that formula i I guess this is the formula this film that was the whole purpose it was commissioned apparently so i don't know maybe i just have problems with the hulk tv formula you mentioned it was serious and that's something to keep in mind is that while this was coming out around the same time as the amazing spider-man tv stuff and wonder woman was on the air Really, Wonder Woman was kind of campy and winky to the audience, and we all know how the Batman stuff of the 60s was. This is perhaps the first superhero property to ever take it so seriously. Keep in mind, we're well a year before Richard Donner's Superman would come out. But then we pick up with this. I get the impression this is intended to be like the same day after... Banner leaves the funeral, right? He's still wearing that same tan zip-up. Well, it might have been a couple days. He's got a a little beard growth going on there, but it hasn't been long. I gotta ask, where is he exactly? We find out that eventually everything that happened in the pilot is in Sacramento, and that he hitches a ride up north around a quote-unquote Highway 2. There is no such thing as Everett, California. There is an Everett, Washington. 
and it does have a Highway 2 that runs through it. Is this supposed to be Seattle era? Why isn't it raining? And why are they growing oranges? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> all the orange groves, aren't those all in Southern California? I grew up there. Remember all the orange groves? Maybe Central California where all the farmland is. But I was confused because they said they were Sacramento, but he was headed north. Yeah, there's yeah. some weird geography going on in this <laughs> California. I suspect all of the Hulk series was shot in and around Los Angeles, but do they traverse the world or at least America? Does he go all over the country? I imagine he couldn't spend all of his time looking for answers in California. He does, and they actually did some location shooting. If you read my reviews on the Venganza Media Gazette, it was several months after this, but a few more episodes into the series, the Hulk goes to Times Square. Oh, okay. So they were doing some location shooting. The one thing I really did notice with this was Banner looking at a highway sign, and that highway sign quite clearly says California on it, and it's right (laughs) as he's walking towards the Orange Grove. So there is a fictional... Everett, California, I suppose. Okay. Well, I'll buy that. It's not the first time they've made up a town. I I mean, creative license, sure, why not? But I wasn't quite convinced whether he had maybe gone to Washington State or not. I didn't know what they wanted me to believe. I'll do something that they couldn't do in the theaters or in the 70s. I have just blown up the DVD frame. Uh, The news article he was reading in the back of the truck... Everett Memorial Hospital in Everett, California, has just begun using the most advanced radiology unit in the state. The new $1.2 million unit. Yeah, you can't buy any unit for $1.2 million in medicine. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that's what your insurance gets billed these days for getting an x-ray. Yeah. Is capable of delivering virtually every kind of radiation therapy, including x-ray, cobalt, microwaves so it can cook your lunch, and new multiplex combinations of radioactive impulses over the entire frequency spectrum. It is hoped the unit will open new methods of treatment for cancer and various other afflictions, like perhaps Hulkism. Jargon, 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 jargon. I mean, we complained a little bit about that last film where they get in their little science techie talk. At least they had ridiculous x-ray machines that went to 11. Yeah, they're, they're just here's your magic x-ray machine that would emits every kind of ray imaginable and maybe it will cure your Hulkism. Sure. I, I gotta ask you, Artie, because you're the big Hulk TV fan. Was there a different kind of x-ray that he went after every episode? <laughs> no. At one point, it was a plant. Oh. And there's all these other types of cures. And, you know, some are often the fool's errand. And sometimes there's an actual cure that must be destroyed for the greater good. Of course. Did he ever try therapy? I feel like anger management might really be the best way to handle this. If you turn into a raging beast every time you lose your temper, maybe the solution is not to douse yourself in radiation. Maybe you should just take a time out, count to ten, have a nice cool glass of water. Or maybe get laid. I think that's why he's hanging around the orange groves of Washington State or California or whatever. Well, Stuart, it's many weeks away in my Venganza Media reviews. But he does try antidepressants, yes. It goes poorly. Mm. But yeah, he ends up in an orange grove in Everett, California. An orange grove slash cemetery. Yes! <laughs> uh, first of all, he's stealing oranges from a cripple girl. Like, here's our hero. And then there's a tombstone in the middle. And we find out that this is an heiress. But they pay all these hands, all their day laborers to collect oranges. But it's not an orange empire, is it? 
Well, it's Pan Am, isn't it? The airline? That's what I thought. Yeah, Pan American business at that point could only mean what was still a functioning airline. Or do they export oranges? Do they export <laughs> dope? I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe it's oranges grown to serve on the flights? <laughs> I'm stretching. But yes, there is visiting her father's grave and walking really poorly on crutches. And maybe we'll have the debate, which is worse, her crutch walking or her acting in the show. But we get Julie. This is a brilliant comedic camp performance. (laughs) I got to say, from the moment she stumbles on the screen, I am cackling. If the attempt here was to engender our sympathies, they laid it on so heavy that it can only be seen as a parody. Right? I mean, this is a joke. Is it? I think this is 70s sincere. (laughs) It's hard to know the difference, isn't it? You know, I don't know. I I find her incredibly amusing. All of her line deliveries. It was really poor. She holds up photos about when she used to jog around the world with her dad in tracksuits. Yeah, those tracksuits were awesome. (laughs) I wanted to know if it was a pun when she said not having working legs was a drag. (laughs) My favorite line is, neither of us are into running anymore. I'm like, (laughs) wow, the talent for an understatement. Yes, daddy is dad, but wouldn't you know it, he has the same name as David. And David means beloved, and suddenly we find out, magically, she has a daddy complex, and she's in love, right? From the get-go here. She has fallen in love with our on-the-road David Banner. I have a question about that, because I feel Denny, played by Gerald McRaney, major dad, among many other things. He was Simon, or or Simon, one of them. He was one of the Simons. (laughs) And Mr. Delta Burke, here in the first of four roles he would have over the course of the Hulk series, I thought he was Julie's boyfriend. I think he at least sees it that way. He's definitely the romantic rival that feels threatened by the arrival of this orange picker. Who's calling himself what? David Benton? Does that mean anything? Every episode, he has a different last name that starts with a B because he's on the run. And so here, he actually uses two different names. He has Benton at the Orange Farm and then Benchley when he goes to the hospital and checks out the x-rays. But he's always David B. Mm. But he's too busy to stick around. And then she, of course, faints. So he runs her up to the house where despite probably smelling pretty bad after a long ride in a pickup truck and not showering for many days, they bring him right in and let him stand around and watch her medical treatment. (laughs) Which, I mean, they are telegraphing what is going on here. And maybe that's the point. I want to step back and say that TV writing and TV making is different than film and that you have to convey information in very broad strokes, particularly in this era where people didn't have DVRs and didn't watch every episode. You have to make it obvious what you're doing all the time. And it's very obvious before the first commercial break what our A storyline is, that the plot of this episode is going to be this crippled girl is being taken advantage of because she's been given a drug that is preventing her from walking, and she's being lied to. We know that she's being lied to. Her incredible naivete about, oh, I must need another shot. I keep falling down. I mean, if if it's not clear, they got that nurse that looks like she's cooking up a horse being like, (laughs) what are you, Dr. Salt? (laughs) 
I, I had to look up Dr. Sulk. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, who the hell is Dr. Sulk? Polio, man. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. She did everything but put a lighter under a spoon. I mean, it was, it was evident <laughs> that this girl was under the umbrella of a nefarious group of people that keep her drugged and in submission of their will. It's just right there in plain day. And I would add in an amusing campy way. I don't disagree. That said, I didn't know who was at fault. I knew there was someone. I was blaming Gerald McCraney. Here's my first problem with this movie is that with the first pilot film, whatever you want to call it, there is this mystery that they built up. You know, it was the mystery of explaining the adrenaline gland, but I was drawn into that mystery. Why couldn't David Banner pick up the car when all these other people, that drew me in, like that got my attention here. There's no mystery. It's the evil stepmom, right? It's every Disney movie we've seen about a princess. And that blows it for me that everything was so telegraphed in this. See, I didn't get it was her. I thought it was the boyfriend because he comes in, he's all very gruff, very, who's this guy? You know, the stepmother seems very inviting, brings David up, introduces David, says, why don't we give David a job? I thought that the stepmother and David would be the ally. Julie would be caught in the middle and this boyfriend would be trying to kill her for reasons not yet known. Did we know at this point about the Pan Am fortune? No, that's uh, after the commercial break. You got to come back (laughs) with your pot pie. They do things like call out the myostat and it's supposed to be clear and this is a burgundy type color. I mean, they call it out so early. Yes. You'd have to be five years old not to catch on to what's (laughs) happening in this movie right now. But I agree with Arnie that the twist is that you think that it is the mean boyfriend, foreman, whatever you want to call him, Gerald McRaney. We're supposed to think that the stepmom is innocent. I don't know why, but that is a surprise they're holding off till we get back into act two. It's just obvious. And you know how obvious it is? I knew from the second she lit a cigarette. I'm like... There's just something nefarious every time a stepmother lights a cigarette. I just knew it telegraphs she's evil. She's no good. Even though they wanted to mislead me and misdirect me into thinking she was, I knew that David was walking into a trap and trying to confide in her and tell her that there's something going on with this drug that Julie's been given. Let's look at this realistically. I realize it's a TV movie, but... When talking to David, she says that she got married to Julie's dad one year before. So in one year, she gets married, kills her husband on a boat explosion, starts poisoning her daughter. I I don't think she's a very good criminal. This seems a little (laughs) obvious to me. I mean, at least Anna Nicole Smith married somebody old and waited a few years (laughs) she did that beautiful rendition of wind beneath my wings at his funeral but uh, yeah if we're gonna go there and talk about credibility why wouldn't she inherit the fortune there's no reason that it would go to a daughter and presumably one that didn't know anything more about her father than jogging Uh, it just doesn't make sense that she wouldn't have the empire more to the point what more do they want they all look like they're doing well i mean it's not like they're being denied money They live on this enormous estate with hundreds of people that bring them their every whim with pools. And it's ridiculous. We are only supposed to understand she's evil because she's a stepmother and an interloper and thus makes her suspect. But we don't know anything about this business. We don't know what she gains by killing the daughter that she doesn't already have. It's a foolish, foolish setup that is only logical to children, which, again, is who they're playing to. 
And I got to say, Julie, uh, maybe she deserves to die here. I mean, she knows her father was murdered. She doesn't say there was a boat accident. She says, yeah. no, my father was killed. The, the boat blew up. <laughs> Someone tried to murder him, but I'm not suspicious about anyone around me. Like, right. there's no mystery here. If, yeah, my dad died in a mysterious boat accident. Okay, now you can build up some mystery, but they blow it all here. They reveal their hand. We can see three out of the four twos here. I'm not going to even give them a king or a queen's anything. They got a poor hand here to play, but they're showing it early. And I don't like how when she's telling the boat accident, there's so many needless flashbacks with her. I don't know why we needed to see the jogging in Morocco. I don't know why we needed to be shown so early the guy who rescues her from the boat. I mean, if she can't see his face and she's telling us the flashback, I think this guy should be a mystery. Is it Gerald McRaney? And he's a secret admirer and he doesn't want her to feel indebted to him. Is it... The doctor who rescued her. No, we see his face right away. So later on when he shows up, we're like, oh, it's him. Well, I think that you are misunderstanding where we were at with TV at the time. You know, I think TV watchers today are much more sophisticated than they were back then. And people are giving these stories more attention now on TV than they did back then. Keep it, everyone's gathered around the table. Your little sister just took your drumstick. There's fighting. <laughs> the phone just rang. You know, this is made so that everyone can follow it at every age. They're not fully paying attention to this. This is not a movie, <laughs> a theme I will reiterate <laughs> again and again. This is not something you would sit down in a movie theater to watch and pay attention to. It's TV. Uh, there are some second or third world people that probably did, though. And because those people suffered, now I must. <laughs> now, we are finally introduced to the doctor who won't even bother to come out when the patient is passing out and everything. But I got a big smile. It's William Daniels, who, I mean, most people probably think St. Elsewhere. I think voice of Kit and principal from Boy Meets World. Oh, I'm going to go one <laughs> other one. I, he's uh, Justin Hoffman's dad in The Graduate. That's right. I didn't ever expect William Daniels to play a bad guy. I immediately thought he was innocent just because of the cachet I associate with this guy. And especially playing a doctor. I watched Sane Elsewhere. Come on, close-ups of needles? That telegraphs badness. No one gets a shot that makes them well in a close-up with a pinkish liquid with them going, this will make you feel better. I mean, he did everything but twirl his mustache. I mean, That's because he shaved it for this role. You can still see the stubble. <laughs> Arnie, I, I think you're giving this plot more credence than it deserves. It's transparent what's going on here. And that's the way they want it. They want everyone in the room to get it. Well, it doesn't take very long. I honestly thought this whole thing would be a mystery, a whodunit, right? But it turns out as soon as David confronts the stepmother, the stepmother says to the doctor, he's on to us. Let's get rid of him. Which, as the runner of the property, she could just fire him and say, we don't need you and send him on his way. That wouldn't be that hard to do. Why did she even give him a job? Did they really need that 101-day laborer picker? I never saw him get an orange. <laughs> I think they hired him to keep an eye on him because they could tell he was somewhat suspicious and maybe they figured he was just a dumb innerent. And then when he started really snooping around, then they're like, he's too dangerous to keep around. And because of his suspicions, if she tried to get rid of him after that, he could go to the cops. But by having Denny do it, and it, basically all Denny was doing was firing him. Denny was 
the foreman. Denny had hiring firing privileges. And so by getting Denny to fire him and Denny just thought he was firing him because he's creepy towards Julie. That is what she she was doing. I want my Hulk. Where's Lou? It's funny you say that, Stuart, because my wife, she sat down next to me when I started watching this movie. And after, you know, 15 minutes, she's like, where's the Hulk? Why are we watching this? Isn't this called the Hulk? Where is he? This is taking too long. (laughs) Well, the formula of the Hulk that I know is at the top and bottom of every hour, Banner would Hulk out. Two per show, never fail. And I was wondering, with this being a two-hour episode, how many times he'd Hulk out and where it would be. Because we talked about the pacing last time and the Hulk took a long time to show up because of the big origin story. So I was pretty happy where right at about the half hour mark, we get Lou in the wig and the eyebrows again. Perhaps that he could have appeared just a few minutes later so they could paint it below the waist. There's some <laughs> pale flesh colored butt crack. Editing oh. isn't quite as tight. Hey, I'm just saying when you're a green guy and you bend over and you get that uh, fleshy tramp stamp showing, it, it's obvious. Maybe on your 1970 televisions, the resolution just wasn't quite as clear as uh, HD TVs, but they could have just painted a bit lower on some of these shots. But yeah, he starts beating up on these guys and he brings the roof down on Denny, which kind of shocked me. And then the Hulk starts trying to rescue Denny, making me confused about the Hulk's motivations. Yeah, they've definitely wimp out there on the Hulk. I'm happy when he finally does arrive. And we certainly want him to beat up these guys. They're a bunch of jerks. We'll even find out all the henchmen. Denny proves to be innocent and inconsequential, actually. But the (laughs) other guys are in on the whole thing. They blew up the boat. They know about the drugging. They deserve a big Lou ass whooping. And so it's satisfying in a cheesy sort of way. First, he blows up their TV. I like that. He knows how to really hurt them. First, I destroy their TV set. Then I bring them down the stairs. And then I bring down the rafters. It's an entertaining moment. Let me ask, did the henchmen at this point know what's going on? I'm curious how much they knew and when. I believe that they are anointed bad guys, and thus <laughs> they are in on it. And how much of the complicated plot they know is inconsequential. They are to be stopped. It's good action. I mean, it's Hulk action. It's what I expect from the Hulk, and it is certainly par. There's nothing here that makes me go, this is the Hulk fight you have to see, but it's the Hulk bursting through doors, bringing down walls, throwing people. I think it's amusing by throwing him off. They don't walk him out of the property. They don't, like, drive him away. They literally just push him out the door, thus giving them the opportunity for him to come back as the Hulk. No one ever makes that conclusion. That's, I guess, the (laughs) funny thing. I guess it's the Clark Kent wearing the glasses kind of phenomenon. No one ever realizes, hey, this other guy was just here, and now there's a big green screaming monster. It was not a bad action scene it kept me entertained there were some moments like when he first breaks through that door like you kind of hear that growl and they look at like i like that kind of build up there but it's not the cgi rock and sock and punching fighting that we're going to see in the later the real theatrical hulk films (laughs) arnie do they match this in later episodes i imagine he has to bust something up every show or i would be irate yeah he is constantly causing massive property damage My big memory, and again, I'll be reviewing all these episodes, is he runs through walls a lot. Mm. It's like the Kool-Aid man. Kick (laughs) his door. Another commercial break. And then we're on to what I refer to as our B storyline. Every TV show has an A storyline that is the plot of that episode. And then a subplot, a sub-character who we care about less 
but has their own story to tell. Whoa, and whoa, whoa. One... <laughs> this is a hobo. This is the Hulk hanging out with the hobo. I'm caring a lot more right now. You know what I was going back to with this scene? So we, the Hulk's wandering through the woods at night and comes across a drunk cooking a chicken on a spigot. I wasn't even sure that was a chicken at first. I thought it was a big rat or something. <laughs> yes. I'm glad they finally called it out that it was a chicken. And I'm going back to, again, the whole, like, Frankenstein thing. Yes! Frankenstein goes to the blind man. You get the standard comedy. I w- imagine anytime you write a drunk that sees a, a magical phenomenon, have they ever not had the scene where the guy, like, did you come out of the bottle? He didn't throw away the bottle. They say that for later. That's actually his character arc, is how he comes <laughs> to not be a drunk anymore. But... Uh, Arnie, are you laughing? Hulk eats a chicken leg, bone and all. I mean, these things are... I'm amused. He almost eats the bottle. I am laughing, and I'll tell you why I'm laughing. When Lou Ferrigno eats that bone, it is the most cartoonish fake swallow with the whole, like, head wag, like an, oh, no, you didn't head wag. (laughs) I thought it was kind of amusing, this bodybuilder's attempt at mime. Okay. To me, this is playing only to children. I feel like... All of this is, at this point, 12 and under. You keep saying that, but this show was a big success for all ages. It was in the 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock hour, you know, depending on your time zone. But it was an action show, and it had the same audience who would sit there the whole night and watch Hulk, then Dukes, then Dallas for four years. Wow. I'm going to say, as much as I love hobos, this is where (laughs) this quote-unquote movie really just slows down for me it goes on too long you know i had problems with the pacing of the first one but there's enough there to keep me drawn in this movie starts with david banner stealing oranges from a cripple lady now he's with the hobo like these are things that theoretically they sound entertaining but it's it <laughs> just goes on forever and i just wanted to get to the next plot point what's funny for me is on the dvd you guys had to watch this on Netflix, and it's two episodes there, right? You know where the division is and everything, right? Yes. On the DVD set I have, this is presented as one contiguous movie, and it doesn't even fade to black. There's only, like, one place I could even pick a commercial break. And so what this creates are some jump cuts where I'm like, did I miss something? Because the Hulk was just beating up people, and then we're immediately cutting to a hobo. And so I'm really confused. This happens later on, too, where the Hulk's running away, and the next thing, Jack McGee's getting out of his car. And it really led to some head-scratching moments for me. I imagine the people in Hungary had the same experience in theaters. Yes, so you're agreeing. This is not a movie. It makes only (laughs) sense if there's been a Twinkie ad and a hamburger helper in between. Ancient Chinese secret, eh? But you said that it's a stretch that they push David out a door and a giant Hulk creature comes back. And the Hulk's not wearing the same clothes. They just both wear jeans. Everyone wears jeans. But the hobo has it even worse. The Hulk, a naked man wearing only jeans, walks away. Seconds later, a naked man wearing only jeans comes back and is confused and doesn't know where he is. Yeah, I'm like, this guy must have drank a lot of liquor not to put this together. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I don't know who I judge more harshly, the bum for not figuring it out or Banner for taking his replacement clothes. Really? (laughs) I would rather just, I'll go old natural. I'll I'll commando it. 
No, I do not want your whiskey stained up. And we get a little bit of a character moment here because Banner realizes he's hulked out. And his first question is, did he hurt anyone? So, again, coming right out of that opening pilot, he doesn't still know if the Hulk could be a danger. Yes, that is something they did in the last movie. We already know the answer of it because we had to pay attention to the last movie. But if you missed it, it's filling people in. It's catch up. It's the kind of thing they wouldn't do if this show were on the air today because everyone processes information a lot more rapidly and they don't miss episodes because of TiVo. You also get a character moment with Michael. Uh, that's who the hobo's name is. He doesn't turn David into the arriving sheriff. He also doesn't admit that he helped with Julie saving her life. He is defined as a person that has basically sworn off the world for raw chicken and whiskey. That's where he wants to spend his time. And he doesn't want to interfere and meddle with anybody's life for the betterment of them or himself. And speaking of metal, he quite obviously wears one around his neck that doesn't go with the outfit. <laughs> I love the reveal of that, but it, we got a couple more uh, commercial breaks before that comes into but play. But he's wearing it quite obviously is what where I first noticed is when he's talking to the sheriff, because there's this big red, white, and blue stripe around his neck. And I'm like, did he win the Olympics? What the hell <laughs> yeah. is that? It turns out it's a Medal of Honor that becomes a major story point later, but he's just wearing it quite like, you don't see this giant medal on the outside of my plaid shirt, do ya? It builds a mystery. He's our B subplot. We are supposed to care about this guy. We know that even though Banner leaves him behind, he has to come into play again. This is not just somebody that he runs into for a joke in one scene. This is our B subplot. Our C subplot starts the very next scene as Jack McGee drives up in a very fashionable car to a hospital before HIPAA laws. <laughs> he just walks up to the information desk, asks for Denny, and the information desk gives him the room. Well, they told him to check in with the nurse first. <laughs> hey, they had to give him something in here because if this scene didn't exist, I don't know that I would recall that McGee was even in this movie. I thought this was our major foil. They really set him up as the antagonist for Banner's life for the rest of the series after the pilot. I really thought that his snooping and investigation would be a constant problem for Banner. But really here, he's just in the background. The thing with McGee is he is the one constant in this whole series besides Banner himself. And McGee is, first of all, the reason why Banner cannot stay in a town. Usually, McGee showed up in the second half of the episodes, like this one. Oh. He comes where the Hulk is. He doesn't know where Banner has gone until Banner hulks out the first time. And then McGee comes because there have been Hulk sightings, and he's researching. It would be too coincidental. This show goes for realism. It, I see. It would be too coincidental if McGee was always in the town where Banner was before the Hulk showed up. I get that. He is here to kick Banner out of wherever he is at the end of the episode. He is not here to cause problems for him during the A storyline. And it does vary from episode to episode. And really, McGee becomes very fleshed out as a character over the course of four seasons. But yeah, in this episode, he's given short shrift just there so that Banner can't stay when everything else is resolved. But this is the scene where like everything comes together because McGee is in the hospital going to see Denny because Denny was implicated in a Hulk attack. 
But in that room with Denny is David. And it's also the hospital where Dr. Bonifant, the evil William Daniels doctor, practices. And it has the x-ray machine. Yes, exactly. All of our storylines are converging here in the hospital. I also want to salute it as the hospital that would dare to put up peacock feather wallpaper. <laughs> what the hell? What do they have against white? Really? It was the 70s, Stuart. Come on. Now, I'm, no. now I have to make that argument. It's got to be ugly because it's the 70s. <laughs> I don't know. Even the 70s, hospitals were sterile, white. You'd want to know if you dropped something on the floor, you'd want to be able to see it. But this is a clash of 70s colors. It's crazy. <laughs> clearly a set. This clearly could not be a real hospital. And we get a very exposition-heavy scene that sort of indicts even further, how deep the stepmom is in with the doctor. What do you imagine they're going to say with an x-ray that killed her? What is going on with her leg that would actually kill her? All they say is it's a neurological condition that the x-ray proves. Okay. Maybe a tumor? Uh, gangrene? I mean, <laughs> when you just amputate, I couldn't figure out what it is that they hope. I mean, and you're not supposed to ask. It is... Again, not made for inquiry. This is children's logic. Oh, he has a x-ray that will allow him to get off the hook for poisoning our poor Julie. And speaking of exposition heavy, if I'm ever working with a doctor to kill someone, I really don't want the doctor to be like, look at these x-rays, layperson. No one can tell which one's the fake. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just like, dude, this guy is really proud of making the fakest fake x-rays ever. Like, are they going to really look that deep into x-rays? Aren't those just negatives? Like, it can't be that hard to fake them. They're going to look at what killed her. And I mean, I presumably, it's something that is poison. It's not going to come from a broken bone. I mean, unless she's like a pixie stick inside <laughs> and there's like dust for bones, I don't think x-rays are going to get him off. But hey... Whatever, party on. We need a chase scene, right? We need for Banner to get the evidence he needs to get this guy in jail. And rather than run it to the police, he's going to run and go save Julie. I love that the doctor, you know, he's got to take a lunch break before he destroys the real x-ray. I'll put it back. <laughs> I'll destroy it. Like, can't you just throw it in with some medical ways to get? Yeah. Child's logic. I'm going to go just go there with you, Stuart. Child's logic. Yeah. And Julie's gotten seven doses, one more, and that will be what kills her. <laughs> they got it down to a science. She's just one prick away from <laughs> falling over for good. So David steals Dr. Bonifant's car. So Dr. Bonifant can't follow. Although they do. Yeah, well. In the stepmom's vehicle. Yes. <laughs> yes, and where she yells, hurry, go faster, and I'm cheering right along with her. Yes, <laughs> hurry, go faster. I want this movie done. If only she was talking to the editor. <laughs> and we're only halfway through. Yes, this is where part one ends. If you are watching this on Netflix, God bless you. You now have to click part two in order to get the rest of the story. Is that before or after the Hulk out then? The Hulk out starts at the beginning of part two? Yes. So you only get one Hulk in part one, but three in two. Okay. Well, yes, but there was a Hulk in two scenes because he goes from hulking out to the campfires. Ah, right, right. So he goes to see Julie, who's drugged, delirious, and been told David is dangerous. And so she starts beating him over the head with a tin water pail. I thought she was in love with him. I'm laughing. I, this is hilarious. Yeah. She is comic gold, <laughs> really. 
It is kind of amusing that she's beating up David, and David, like, gets hit in the face, and then he comes back for her again and gets hit a second time, and that's what turns him into the Hulk. And I love that he's hulking out, but he's still, like, hiding the x-rays under the bed. (laughs) Yeah, he even says, have to find a hiding place. Let me put him under this bed that I'm going to destroy in a few seconds when I become a big green monster. (laughs) Yeah, he throws the bed across the room, so did he put it between the mattresses? Yes. Okay, so it stayed there. He also causes even more property damage. The, the Pan Am Corporation better have money because he takes out a full wall this time. Nice! You know what? I'm with this series anytime they can deliver on this sort of C-level action. I think that these t- scenes are were then and now the crux of the show, is we want to see Hulk smash. It's a very simple phenomenon. I just want to see him break things, and it's satisfying to see him do. I liked when he hulks out in front of Julie. I really liked the music they used. It brought back that horror element, this weird, I don't know if it was a choir or what. It was just very spooky music. And I like that. I like the atmosphere of the first one. So I like that they brought that back, at least for this Hulk out, you know, with the young cripple girl in there and the monster. I kind of like this scene. I agree with you, Jacob. And after watching this, I went and bought the soundtrack. Of course. How much did you pay for that one? 20. (laughs) There is a soundtrack to be bought? Yes. The guy who did the music for this, Joe Harnell, did a lot of TV music. And if you go to joeharnell.com, you can buy albums of many episode-specific music as well as the pilot music with the famous themes. I bought all five discs. Can you buy the Wonder Woman sound effect that they clearly use every time Hulk jumps? (laughs) was that wonder woman i thought that it was a less six million dollar man ripoff than captain america used but oh you're right you're right it was bionic woman to be precise she was the one that jumped she had the legs but yeah they get rid of that as time goes on they kind of perfect the hulk as things go on this is still you know his second rodeo here they still have the big brows on him and they still think that special sound effects are needed when he leaps it is a good leap though i mean lou does a very good fake jump many times here Question, and I realize I may not be rewarded for asking it. (laughs) They conclude, they being the doctor and the evil stepmom, that the Hulk is an evil entity. He beat up Denny, and he's a problem, and now that he has Julie, she's probably going to be killed by it. They're, in fact, being like, ah, it's the perfect cover-up. Why not just let them run off into the swamp? Why pursue? Hulk smash. I I think that's your answer. (laughs) All right. All right. I would say the appearance of caring. Okay. They got to keep up a massage and more than the sheriff. They need to send out a guy with hounds and a guy in a helicopter. And also more to the point, I think, I don't know how they know this, but at some point, I mean, it becomes a race to the ranger station where she has proof that they're trying to kill her. So it becomes a chase because they need to capture her and give her her last dose before she turns them in. Right. How they know that, maybe their channel flipped and went, oh, we're on. I don't know. It's time for a commercial. (laughs) And we're back. And David is changing back into his human form in front of her, and she knows his secret. And they still have that 60s Star Trek animated green blob on his face. Favorite line of the episode? 
Is that my medicine? It's your poison. <laughs> I love that somehow he kept that wrapped up to keep the doctor's <laughs> fingerprints on it. While he, I mean, his pants get really tight when he hulks out. That would have just get crushed. And then you've got a nice linen cloth around there. Won't that just wipe off the fingerprints? I was thinking that. He's like, the fingerprints are all over it. I'm like, not if you keep rolling it in your hand like that. <laughs> You're taking them right off. And more to the point, won't it have David Banner's fingerprints on it? You know, the guy that's supposed to be dead? <laughs> Yeah, but he may not have ever been printed. There is that back then. Yeah, true. Does Hulk have his fingerprints? Well, at the least, they'd be bigger. Right. (laughs) But same loops and swirls. But I don't think if you looked at a fingerprint twice the size of mine, a fingerprint analyst would go, same person, just with a swollen thumb. Yeah. But for some reason, the Hulk always seems to run off into the same area of the... Where... What is this? A swamp? A forest? A... It's a vacation swamp in Washington State, where they grow oranges, of course. Maybe Man-Thing lives here. I don't know. It's just the dark water. I just think it's funny. This is where they were on the boat when it blew up to begin with. Like, really? Wait, this is where the boat was? Yeah, it must have been, because Michael saved him. Why was it in a swamp? Why would you yacht with your daughter in a swamp a few miles from your plantation? These people don't deserve to have money. They don't deserve to be rich. They're too stupid to know how to do it. Go back to Morocco and jog or something. I just, really, what a waste. I was confused how Michael was even around to save her. The, the original explosion. I'm like, did he used to hang out at the beach? So they were yachting in a swamp. I can only presume that this is the same location. Here's a fact about TV. They got to shoot it in a week, and you got to only have three or four locations, and thus you'll always see them repurpose the same locations again and again and again. It had to be this way. Yes, unfortunately it did, but it logically, no, it makes no <laughs> damn sense. But none of this made sense. I mean, the destinies of Michael and Julie being intertwined here are re-goddamn-diculous. But they stop by Michael is fruitless. He just points them in the direction of a ranger station and makes them go off on their own. And it's seven miles. And I'm thinking, okay, she can't walk. A person (laughs) at peak can do a mile in 12 minutes sustained. So at the very least, it would be 90 minutes carrying her. They've got like a day's walk ahead of them. Well, you know, he makes a very good case about not helping him. David actually is like, you're just going to wear that medal that means bravery. Meanwhile, there's these people coming with dogs, and they're not going to believe your story that you didn't meet us, and that's why you should help us. I'm like, no, that's why he should close the door in your goddamn face. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Some killers are coming with dogs and guns, and you want me to get involved with your life. I'm with Hobo on this. crack of party and let's go but it's the hobo with a heart of gold he's constantly getting involved to help people in need yes well yes and so they run off on their own but when michael hears the dogs he joins them and then they go towards the swampy area where there's a bear all right we all know what's coming hulk versus a bear and i'm all for that you got to see him fight dinosaurs or bear some kind of predator so i'm excited and i was blown away that they're using like a real circus trained bear or something here he was cute he was bathing he was pawing himself he looked like the friendliest bear ever 
If there is a reason to recommend this, and I'm not sure it can be justified, I wait. I wait to hear that. It is for this scene. It is hands down the single most entertaining thing I have seen so far in either the pilot or this. This the way the setup of it. They get into the water. They're wading waist deep, and she's like, "I can feel something on my leg," and he's like, "Oh, that's probably a leech." And like, <laughs> cut to stock footage of giant circus bear running at them. I'm like, didn't you learn anything from Friday the 13th Part 2, lady? <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, when the bear attacks Banner and then he hulks out, like, it's a real bear. I'm like, dude, they're not using a guy in a bear suit. This is amazing. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then. But wait. <laughs> and then the Hulk has yeah. to throw the bear. Yeah. Well, actually, during some of the fight, it does become a guy in a bear suit. I don't think Lou would get in with the bear. There is some bear guy who's quite obviously twice the size of Bixby, who's the pre-Hulk fighting the real bear. But then, yeah, there is the guy in the bear suit fighting Lou. And then Lou picks up the bear, and it is quite obviously a teddy bear. (laughs) And he throws the thing, and it is the most obvious, like they had a catapult and a teddy bear, and they flung it. And it's smeared with green paint, by the way. I mean, there are several times that the green of Lou's Hulkism is getting on the bear as well. I mean, this is a hilarious scene. I almost hate to deconstruct it any further. You should discover it for yourself. It comes... 70 minutes on the DVD. It would be about an hour and a half if there were commercials. Right. And the thing I love about this, though, is I really, because the bear was so cute when he was walking towards them and everything, I'm like, oh... The Hulk just killed the bear, because there's no way that bear could have lived. Nope, he just gets up, walks away, back to the stock footage. I was rolling. <laughs> like, I'm like, dude just threw a bear, like, 20 miles, and it just strolls away. <laughs> because it landed in water. It's the rule yeah. of water on TV. <laughs> and then the Hulk, he's never been in a pool before. He starts just splashing. <laughs> he's attacking water. Hulk splash. <laughs> Well, it had leeches. Maybe he's fighting the leeches off one by one. <laughs> there were no leeches. Just swamp bears. <laughs> I don't know. This is, this this is, is, <laughs> Stuart, you live in L.A. Don't you know if you head north of the swamp bears of Northern <laughs> California? That's why you can't get me out of the mall. I know what it's like up there. <laughs> That's why you got the hell out of California. Swamp bears. They got rattlers, too. <sighs> yeah. You know, you, you go from the Hulk versus a bear to Hulk versus a snake, not quite the same intensity. And the fact that after this snake bites Hobo Michael, like, it's the Hulk. He could just step on it. He could just smash it. But nope, he's going to throw this too. The Hulk loves to throw wildlife. (laughs) I'm surprised. Honestly, I thought there would be a scene where, like, the snake tries to bite the Hulk and the snake's tooth breaks or something. But no, I mean, is Hulk fast? I never really get fast out of Lou. I get strong, but he grabs the snake before the snake can bite. I gotta say, perhaps the most unsettling image I've seen, maybe in any now playing movie I've ever watched, including Hannibal Lecter or any kind of like the unsavoriness of watching that cripple woman 
suck out the poison of that hobo's feet has got to like make your stomach churn, right? Come on, he poured some whiskey on it. He sterilized it. That should be rated triple X or something. Like that should not be on TV. That for some crazy ass fetishes that like want to watch some scat grotesquity. Because I'm like. This had to be uncomfortable to shoot. It certainly was uncomfortable to watch. I can only presume because she's been filled with poison that she could even bear it. But I don't know. I don't know why we're so hung up on Michael. They leave him. You know, they're like, ah, he'll be fine. Hide in the swamp. They're not really concerned about the fact that he's probably going to die from a rattlesnake bite. <laughs> they use the metal as a tourniquet. He'll be fine. <laughs> yes. It's really just a point to give his character a complete epiphany of we find out the backstory, what the metal is all about. It's what ties our main characters together. Julie, the real reason she can't walk is psychosomatic guilt, blaming herself for the boat exploding. <laughs> And Banner has the Hulk. Well, Michael blames himself because his son went to Nam and saved a bunch of people, but died. And he blames himself because he used to talk up how great it was to serve in what would it be Korea, maybe World War Two, perhaps. I don't know who laid this man. That's what I want to know. <laughs> I guess what Michael wasn't always a hobo in the middle of the swamp. Like at some point he had a conventional lifestyle and is his current depravity the result of his giving up on life? Is that what I'm to understand? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, he himself was a war hero of some sort and talked up how great it was to be in the service and had a wife and had a child and the son went off to serve in Nam, presumably not drafted even just his father kept talking about how great the army was and died there. And thus. The drunken hoboishness that ends up leaving him alone in the swamp. Yes. <laughs> but unlike Denny, I mean, Michael shows up later. Poor Denny, we never see again. I no, think... no. Yeah, Denny got no arc. He was literally just someone to beat up in the first half. We needed a Hulk moment, and he provided it. This guy, he is our B story, and now that B story line is over with. We're, we're happy to see him resolved with his life pain what do you imagine next for him he throws the bottle away we know that much he's given up drink what else is going to happen with michael it's told it is yeah i mean we mentioned earlier that julie has a bit of a daddy issue and after sucking out michael's leg michael's her new daddy oh my god i'm going to vomit (laughs) (laughs) and really oh god oh god That's so horrible. I would have rather just got another dose of myostatin and be done with it. Yeah, wouldn't in, like, with real storytelling, wouldn't Denny come back, be the father figure, gives Michael a job as a orange picker, and they live as a happy family? Like, it doesn't make sense. I don't want to dwell on it anymore. We'll get there. We'll get there at the very end. But for now, David and Julie still have to try to get to the ranger station. Now... Is Northern California also full of quicksand? <laughs> okay. We got the Hulk versus a beer. Awesome. Hulk versus a rattlesnake. Eh, okay. Now we got Hulk versus quicksand. I liked it. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, tell me. It's a cerebral problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the Hulk isn't smart and Julie is there. The only convincing line she can say the whole time is, David, don't, you'll make it worse because the Hulk will just thrash and be sucked deeper, whereas David will have the brain power to sit still and not 
do anything. And the whole reason Dave is getting so pissed off is because Julie won't stand up. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. This is the character moment where, hey, Julie, it's all in your head. Why don't you stand up and save me? And she says, it's all in your head. Why don't you calm the hell down and not become the Hulk and make it worse? And isn't he supposed to calm down and not become the Hulk? And she stands up and saves him? That's what should happen. This is where I start to have real fundamental problems with the fact that David can't control his Hulkingism. Because all you got to do is just carry around a mallet and hit yourself on the head. And you can, like, go to town and solve all your problems. Just, they don't even need to be on the run. He could have literally just hulked out and taken care of these guys way back at Michael's house. They would have never needed to see that bear. would have robbed the best scene of the, of the show. But <laughs> I'm really having this problem with this I can't control Hulk. It's actually obvious whenever Hulk will come. And it was obvious to me that Hulk would hulk out in quicksand. What it wasn't obvious, what you pointed out, is that that wouldn't be able to save him. That it actually made it worse and that he is going to drown by becoming enraged. And that, yeah, I like the fact that, at the very least, we now have to have Julie complete her character arc. She has to be able to stand. I do have to ask, maybe the reason why she can't stand is because she's full of poison, right? (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it was all in her head. It's all very confusing to me. She was originally diagnosed that the problem was psychological, and then they found a doctor that said, no, it's neurological, but that doctor has been poisoning her. Presumably, the poison is doing something to her nerves to paralyze her. I don't think that it's all in her head at this moment, right? David said that when the medicine wears off, you'll be able to stand. That's a dropped line earlier. Again, they had to go seven miles with him carrying her. Ah, Hours have passed. And I guess that's enough for her to have recovered to use her legs. And as for the Hulk being able to just, you know, hit himself in the head, Julie says that exact thing to him is just get mad, turn into the Hulk and everything will be okay. It doesn't work like that. He can't bring the Hulk out when he wants. But there's no further explanation other than it comes out when the writers want. It comes out when he's in danger, and perhaps he would know he's not in danger when he's hitting himself. Okay, he sticks a gun to his head. Russian roulette. That's real (laughs) danger. The way they explain it here, there should be some way. In the last movie, every time he went to sleep, he would wake up violently dreaming of his wife. I mean, shoot, all he's got to do is, you know, think about memories of hemming her bell bottoms, and that should bring it on. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like they're playing willy-nilly here. And I know that they have to. They have to set up rules, however thin. And we're not to probe too deeply as long as it's delivering us what we want, which is a Hulk moment. But I do think it's interesting. I think it was the right choice to allow the Hulk moment not to save the day in this instance. That it is for Julie to stand and bring down the branch that allows him out of the quicksand. But Hulk can't do nothing. He has to take out a helicopter. Uh, maybe. <laughs> with with the aid of off-screen sound effects and uh, a couple loop-de-loops, uh, yes, one fake tree. I wasn't convinced by this one. It was even less convincing to me than that bear attack. I also felt bad because the guy's chasing him with the dogs fall on the quicksand, and I'm like, no, not the dogs. I feel bad for all the animals in this show, but the guys get the dogs out and use the dogs to drag themselves to safety. And that's kind of the end. There's this kind of like Harry and the Henderson scene where Julie has to tell the Hulk to go run off into the woods and can't go with her, even though the Hulk wants to stay. And then she walks off screen, presumably to the ranger station. And that's it. The next thing we know, we're at the hospital again. 
Yeah, it's a real jump. I had even forgotten there was this C storyline, but it is sort of the driving force of the show. I mean, the whole point of everything is that he's looking for this cure. So they've got to at least arbitrarily pay lip service to that and say, oh, we got to test out this machine. And oh, by the way, it doesn't work. Well, they don't say it doesn't work. When this is over, keep in mind, the producers didn't know if this show would get picked up. And so it's left ambiguous. They said, does it work? He goes, I don't know if it worked, but I'm a danger until I know it did work. And I'm a fugitive and I don't want you to get in trouble for harboring me. So I must leave. So it is left where if this show hadn't been picked up, you could have just said he was cured. (laughs) That's a huge leap. No one would think that he had been cured the way that this ends. But I hear what you're saying. And we get to see Michael. He's shaved. He now just has a mustache and is in his dress plaid i forgot that he comes back in this it literally had escaped my mind my memories are are of him hiding in a swamp from dogs and i thought that's where he he ended but yeah he's doing lookout while david does his radiation tests what's funny is he still acts like a coot even when not drunk when like mcgee shows up at the end and allows for all the exposition to say the doctor the stepmother and their three cronies are in jail and all of this but that's not the story i'm interested in i don't want a real murder i need to know about the hulk (laughs) and then michael's like hey why don't you come with me you know he's still talking like the drunk coot i love that but he is now julie's partner in the pan am corporation is what yeah Poor Denny, I think, is the short shift here. (laughs) Yeah, Gerald McRaney deserved better than this. And, well, he would get it. But, yeah, I mean, what she says to David is, there'll always be a room for you right next to Michael's. We're all family, after all. So I guess Michael's not in Julie's room, but Julie's moved her into the house, and I guess in the old stepmother's room. And then David gets on a bus, and that sad, sad music plays. And, you know, this is how every episode of The Hulk ends, is with this music and David leaving. And I really have to ask, has there ever been a TV series in the history of television that always ends on such a depressing note? I can't think of one. I mean, it's a sort of happy ending. Julie's alive, and Michael is sober, and living the high life in the mansion, but every week David helps others, but then must go off on his own, sad and alone, again and again. No, and it was always what I rejected about the show. It was something, as a kid, I didn't like the way it made me feel. It was very frustrating. It made him seem like a dope. You know what I mean? Like just a sap that was never going to win. He was never going to cure the Hulk. He was never going to get to stay anywhere. He was never going to get the girl. It just was hard to watch in that respect because it was so repetitive. I mean, repetitive and TV go hand in hand. And we know what formula dictates. But does he ever get any victory on this in the show? Does he ever get a reprieve? Does it always end with him completely without what he wants? Well, I mean, it's episodic television, and this will go on for four years. This show was very successful for four full seasons. Yeah, in order to keep the series going, he would have moments of happiness. In a later episode, he gets married again. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm looking for. And then she dies. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't she become She-Hulk? Uh, well, I won't get into that. We we will in a few weeks. Okay. Yeah, so we'll wait for the She-Hulk. But, no, this series, it was very grounded, kind of like this episode. And as the years went on, they'd introduce more and more sci-fi elements. We'd find out that 
there was the first Hulk 30,000 years ago in prehistoric times in an American Indian tribe, there was a Hulk. Wow. And they found a way to cure that Hulk way back then with shaman medicine. Of course. Oh, see, you know what? Without getting too excited about that, that's the kind of thing that I'm really missing here. I feel like the bread and butter of this show would be these domestic ills. It's like, yeah, land barons and people cheating and people that skip out on their taxes. To me, it's not satisfying to watch superheroes fight these kinds of people. I want supervillains for superheroes. And I think that's part of my problem here was that he doesn't fight anyone cool. I like Bill Bixby. I like the kind of setup for it, but it's just not very satisfying that it's this storyline. Well, Stan Lee agrees with you because Stan Lee was a consultant on this series and he was telling Kenneth Johnson, the TV producer, it needs more comic book elements. And I kid you not, he read this script and went to Kenneth Johnson and said, I love it, but the bear should be a robo-bear. Oh! <laughs> yes! Brilliant. Yes. yes. Only robo before, before anything makes it better. Yes. Robo-quicksand. Yeah, they should have done that. But as the series went on, it got more of those sci-fi elements. And you know what? If we had to watch a two-hour episode, which this was theatrical, this was made for TV movie, but there were several two-part episodes. And if you called this one of them, the one that I wish we'd seen is called The First. And this is the only time the Hulk gets a real supervillain. You get a Hulk versus Evil Hulk episode. It is phenomenal. I'll be reviewing it at the Venganza Media Gazette a few weeks later. But if I could pick one episode, Stuart, that you would have watched and that I think would have satisfied you most, it would have been that one. That does sound cool. I definitely will read about that when you write about it. Will I go back and watch it? Well... (laughs) And, you know, you asked if David ever gets a happy ending. Unfortunately, the show doesn't get a happy ending because despite doing very well in the ratings for four years as part of that block with Dukes and Dallas, in... 83, a writer's strike loomed. They were only able to film nine episodes for the fifth season before the strike. And after the strike, CBS would not resume the series. Bill Bixby's contract was nearing renegotiation. Ratings had dipped a little. Cost had gone up a little. And basically, the CBS producers feel this series had run its course. And Kenneth Johnson and Bill Bixby wanted a good conclusion for this. Johnson had talked about how he wanted a series finale where Bixby got his cure. And Bixby even talked about how he wanted to see the finale where he goes on trial for Elena's death and gets cured. And it all wraps up all of the things that were in these opening credits week after week wanted for a murder he didn't commit. All of it wrapped up in a finale, but because of the writer's strike and CBS executives, it was never to be. Hmm. That is too bad. But then again, it leaves the door open for future TV movies, of which we've got, what, three of them coming. How does that fare? Well, we will find out on Tuesday. But until then, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Return of the Incredible Hulk? Jacob. With the last Hulk movie rewatched... I enjoyed the melodrama. It was almost soap opera-esque, and it was moody and atmospheric. I liked that. It had a good mystery that kept me engaged. I felt it could have been edited down. It dragged a little. But here, right from the get-go, the oranges and the graveyard and the orange like I get it that this was to show what the formula of the TV show was. But it seems like they threw out that formula from the original pilot, all that stuff in there that I liked. They just threw all that out and said, okay, now here's what people are going to watch week to week. 
and it drags. It's slow. It didn't keep me engaged. Man, it was hard to pay attention to the very end of this film. Like, I was hoping there was a commercial break. I wanted to see, you know, what new brand of mac and cheese I should be buying, something like that, instead of watching this film. I said after the first pilot that, yeah, I was going to return at 8 o'clock to see what that next episode of The Hulk was going to be like. Well, now I know I don't need to set that DVR or that VHS machine because I'm not into the show anymore. This totally killed it for me. So that's not recommend. Stuart. <laughs> Change the channel. This is not worth watching. Here's the test. Would you enjoy this movie if this did not have the Hulk in it? If this were a story about a hitchhiker who comes along and helps the problems, everyone would hate this show. <laughs> this would be a horrible, horrible series and would be swiftly canceled. The saving grace the one thing that we all love and hold on to dearly is that he's going to put on that green wig and Lou Ferrigno out and break up a bunch of plywood furniture. And those things are fun. I give you that. The bear attack and breaking up the house, they are campy fun. But the story being told here, the problems that he's even confronting, the A story, the B story, the C story, it is all phony baloney. And should not be watched by anyone. It's the kind of thing that I think people think they like this. But if you actually went back and saw this, you would be in my boat. This is a strong not recommend. Stuart, you're just wrong. You are just wrong. Arnie, he just called you out. He said, you, you think you like this. You are just wrong. First of all, how many of these shows were there on TV during this time that were exactly what you describe and didn't have the Hulk? The A-Team, every week a different town, sometimes a different country, helping out some random person. The Fall Guy. They help crippled girls find out that they're being doped with poison. Yeah. Yeah, and things just like it. Yes. That's why I don't watch TV from the <laughs> 80s and 70s. Knight Rider. All right. He had a car instead of the Hulk. But all things you're naming, by the way, never have seen. Never seen Knight Rider. Never seen 18. Never seen Fall Guy. Okay. But these were all successful shows. None quickly canceled. But then you're also wrong because I remember liking this and I watched this one and all right. There are problems. Oh, no. This is going to be rich. (laughs) Brought to you by the man that despised the aviator as the worst thing you'd ever had to watch. This is good. All right. Let's hear it. (laughs) I agree with you completely that this perhaps is the episode of Now Playing least worthy of an episode of Now Playing. And we've done a lot. Okay. At least we can meet at that table. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the movies we've ever done, this one, I just hate the fact that Wiki's like, it was in theaters and thus hit the criteria. We couldn't not do it. I didn't want to do it. But I have to judge this as a TV episode. Okay. I'm judging this as an episode of The Hulk. That's all I can judge it as. Fair enough. And as an episode of The Hulk, it has one fatal flaw. It's too damn long. It should have been a one-hour episode of The Hulk, and it would have been a perfectly average episode, which would get a recommend from me. As it is, it's too drawn out. 
the whole Michael plot needed to probably be cut for expediency or at least shortened. There needed to be just less going on. This did not sustain a two hour if there had been commercials. For me, it was a one hour, 35 minute length. It did not sustain that one minute, 35 length completely. But that said, it also had some things going for it, like the bear attack. <laughs> yes. And some really good line readings. Well, wait, one. Give me one. I mean, good as in bad. Okay, all right. Good as in incredibly cheesy. Good as in yeah. laugh-worthy. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. But all in all, you got to take it for what it is, a 1977 TV episode, and it is par. It is average. It's just too long, so I'm going to give it a weak recommend, but this really would be a litmus test on how much you would like the rest of the series, because if you're giving it a strong not recommend, yeah, you wouldn't come back, even in a more abridged format. I don't think it would give you what you want. For me, if this were in that one hour, 52 minute after commercials removed format, it would give me exactly what I want every week. So I'm giving this a weak recommend. But going off of my test, Arnie, let's just say Hulk is not in this. You can agree it would be unbearably awful. No, because I did watch The Fall Guy. I did watch Riptide. I watched A-Team. I watched MacGyver. I watched Dukes of Hazard. I watched all these shows, and it's the same damn thing. It's the Hulk that puts it over the top as my favorite of all of the shows I've just named. But I would be bearable. I would still turn it on. The difference between Hulk and no Hulk is every time a new cable network comes on, it seems like all these 70s and 80s shows get revived. Simon and Simon. And always, I will watch a few episodes to relive the nostalgia. And that's where it ends. So if it, this hadn't had the Hulk, if it had been some guy in town, I'd probably watch two or three episodes for nostalgia and be like, okay, I've had my fill. I've revisited it. Because it has the Hulk... I've bought all the box sets and I'm going to revisit all 84 episodes. <laughs> so basically you're making a really good case against Generation X and their undying love for retro. I mean, that's what you're really saying is that you're brainwashed. But you have to like it because it reminds you of all the things that you used to watch, even though you might be making the case that all the things you used to watch were really terrible. But hey, <laughs> At least you have it all in a box now. Now just dig a hole and put it in the ground and put the dirt over it. Death in the family, death of nostalgia. That's what this is. It kills any love I think I have for this show. Stuart, there have been several movies in the course of Now Playing that you give recommends to that aren't good, but because you liked them then and you still hold that affection. And that's where this Hulk series is for me, which doesn't mean I can't judge it. I guarantee you, on the Venganza Media Gazette, there will be some reviews I write that go, this is god-awful, stay away. But this episode is not one of them. I would really look forward, then, to seeing how you make that determination, because I'm wondering what a bad episode looks like to you if this is par. I guess I'll follow you on the Gazette. I look forward to that project. And I'm really grateful I'm not having to watch them. All right. Well, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me to discuss this movie. TGIF. <laughs> and we will be back Tuesday for The Incredible Hulk Returns. 
Did we just watch that? I am not watching that again. No, Hell no, I still hate it. No matter how many times that cripple girl falls down. This one, it has a different long-haired blonde. Stuart, it has Thor. Oh, all right. Oh, I'm scared now. Seventies <laughs> Thor or eighties? I guess eighties Thor. By the time this came out, yes, eighties Thor. Oh. Not Adventures in Babysitting Thor, though. Damn, it's not Vincent D'Onofrio. Well, cool. That's what I've been saying. He needs a super companion. If he's going to have a superhero thing, maybe that can be the fix. We will be back Tuesday. We'll talk to you then, puny humans. Fine battle we had, eh, Banner? Me and your troll? I told you we'd win the day, Banner. Odin willed it. When the troll's upon you, you're a mighty fighter. You're not bad yourself. (laughs) I know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Incredible Hulk retrospective series. You know what scares me the most? Is it when it happens, when it comes over me, and I totally lose control. I like it. Part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. Whether you know or care, I've got a lot of pride in what you've done, but this is too big for you. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on the Marvel superheroes through the release of The Avengers this May. I've done my homework. The work you're doing here is dynamite. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to check our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel comic movie series, such as Ghost Rider, X-Men, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Blade, and Captain America. You think I should? Yeah, you're great with that stuff. If we don't get impressive results today, we're going to have a really hard sell come Tuesday. Well then, let's go be impressive. You can also listen to our non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Predator, Rocky, Rambo, Star Trek, Terminator, The X-Files, and many more. How little you understand, Miss Ross, and how dangerous your ignorance has become. You will also find individual movie reviews, such as Cowboys and Aliens, Inception, and Avatar. It was like a dream. About what? Rage. Power. And freedom. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. We're going to have to watch that temper of yours. You know, my mother always used to tell me getting angry doesn't help. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You can trust me to do what I think is right, not what you think you want. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Let's go. I'll go. You just watch me go. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You cannot imagine the unbearable finality. What can I do? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Come on, Bruce. Let's see what you got. You think you can live with it? Take it! Take it off! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, t-shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, teddy bears, and much more. You see, I can partake with the essences of all things. <laughs> Do you really believe that I am separate from you? Ah.
Now Playing's Incredible Hulk retrospective series is edited by Arnie. You poor soul. I guess we've all got our crosses to carry. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This will be the greatest performance of your life. And the last. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises, Universal Studios, or Image Entertainment. The Incredible Hulk and all of the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company and no infringement is intended. Peace of mind is for the dead, my friend. I guarantee. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Think of all the harm they've done to you, to me, to humanity. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. I suppose I'm leaving now. Good guess. We've caused enough trouble. Call me when there is war to wage, demons to fight. Farewell. Farewell. And Lori Prange? Prang? Prang? Any ideas? No. Just leave her off. Who cares about her? <laughs> I think she did an episode of BJ and the Bear, and that's about it, really. Prangy. Prang. I don't, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Because it's hotter than hell in here. Is it going to bother you? It probably won't. No more than that does. If he passes out, the show is over. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> What's that thump? It doesn't matter. Not recommend. <laughs> Strong, not recommend. But we get Julie, played by... Lori determined. Give us the German <laughs> to give a shout out to Lori Prange <laughs> or whatever she is. Why would you go there? She never did anything worth saluting. In fact, if I saw her in the street, I would throw a rock at her. This is a horrible performance. <laughs> she does another episode of the Hulk later on as a different character. Oh, that's too bad. I, I was hoping she'd come back to deliver such lines as, that's my favorite name. <laughs> <laughs> this is a brilliant comedic camp performance. I got to say, from the Miss Mrs. Delta Burke? What? He married Delta Burke, right? Yeah. Oh, well, that would make him Mr. Delta Burke. Now, is that real Frankenstein lore? Because I'm more familiar right. with young Frankenstein and Mel Brooks, and I know that's a comedic scene with Frankenstein and the blind guy. I, I, I didn't want to call it out as being a Frankenstein thing because I'm not sure if it is, but I that's what I had flashbacks to. I don't have any recollection of that from the novel, but it has been several decades since I read it. All right, I was going off Young Frankenstein too, and just Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Arnie! (laughs) 
maybe Man Thing lives here. I don't know. It's just the dark water. I was actually having Swamp Thing flashbacks. If you've seen that film, as we get on to this, I not guess. yet. I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. If I can make you watch this, I can make you watch anything. I'll probably be grateful. You're breaking me. <laughs> But until then, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Incredible Hulk Returns? The Return of the Incredible Hulk. But it's definitely family. <laughs> is, is it called Return? It, it originally in theaters, Return of the Stop Incredible Hulk. Stop with the theaters. Hulk. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. I'm putting this on the now playing pages return if of the incredible find hall. One ticket stub. So <laughs> for this, I will believe you. All I have is a wiki page and I can't prove I didn't put it there. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah!